folks, we're not going to Revelation today. You know, because we only have two cities left, right? And then we're going to be taken home, right? So we have two cities, and I want to do them back to back. I don't want to separate them from the other. So this is what we're going to do today. Did a conference last week on um, the conscience. And not that I'm going to do anything on the conscience, but I want to do something on um, admonishment. How do we do that? How do we actually confront someone uh, that may not have a good conscience? Uh, where, where are we going to do there? So I, I just want to make sure that we understand. This life has full of warnings. It is, it, they're all over the place. You, you see warnings on uh, you can't uh, eat this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I want to give you a few that I think are a little bit humorous to some degree. Life is full of warnings. The one I really liked really long time ago was Christmas lights. It was found on the package of the Christmas lights. And it says on that package, it says, for indoor and outdoor use only. <laughs> right? Here's another one. It was on a lawnmower. For cutting grass only, do not use for hedges. I think that's a, a brilliant idea, you know. There was a warning on a public washing machine that said this, do not put any persons in the washer. Here's another warning. It came with an air conditioner. Do not drop air conditioner out the window. I hope you understand that. Do not do that, you know. Hear about this one. It was on a blow dryer. Do not use while sleeping. I mean, where, where would you come up with these things? Here's another one that was uh, on, a, on a Roenta iron. I don't even know what that is. And it says, do not iron clothes while uh, on a person. Do not iron clothes while on a person. Or how about this great warning on the outside of a cup of slushy? Outside the cup of a slushy. The warning is this, the ice may be cold. You know, just in case you didn't know that. In Croatia, when I was there once, <laughs> I, I, was, I was in this with, with Todd Dick, and I said, what, look what that says. And, and it was in English, by the way. And the outside of the Coke bottle, it said this, use for drinks only. What would you use Coke for anyway? I mean, maybe they thought, you know, another Coke. I have no idea. But use for drinks only. I started doing puzzles when I was with my grandkids years and years and years and years and years ago. On the puzzle box, there was a warning. Some assembly required. I'm not making this up, folks. Now, speaking of Arizona, I, I love this warning sign. Thank you for coming from Arizona. My daughter and son-in-law are still there and two granddaughters. I love this sign on, on the, in the Arizona desert. As you're going past this prison, uh, this uh, prison that's there, it says, do not stop for hitchhikers. <laughs> I, I look at that and go, what? <laughs> and lastly, and I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. But on a toy broom, it says this, the broom does not actually fly. <laughs> but there are warnings out there for all of us all the time that we need to take heed to. The Bible has warnings, has many of, many of them. Generally, they're pointing us in the direction of living a pleasing life with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Those are the warnings that we have there. How are we listening to those? How are we listening to those things that tell us about glorifying God? Sometimes these spiritual warnings have consequences. That if we don't follow them, we're going to be judged eternally. Obviously, these are much more serious than some of those silly illustrations. The Bible is going to instruct us instruct us as to the purpose of our life. And the purpose of your life and the purpose of my life is to give glory to God. That's what it's about, folks. It's not about you being comfortable. It's not about you achieving all that you want to achieve in this life. It's not about being number one. It's not about always being paid attention to. It's about glorifying God. And how can we do that? How do we collectively do that? Through our sanctification, through becoming holy, by growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Now, here's one of the warnings that we see out there, and we're not going to turn there, but Hebrews 12, 14, and it tells us there, without sanctification, you will not see the Lord. Often I say to George, if a person's not growing, you know, it's like a a heartbeat here, and, and if they're not growing, they're not going. Because there's nothing there. So folks, take a look at yourself. Make sure that you are growing in your relationship with the Lord and relationship with these warnings that are there. Sanctification is the process of restoring the believer into the image of God. At the the, uh, fall, we lost that image. It was taken away. It was supposed to be a perfect relationship between God and man, and it was taken away because of the fall. Today, what we're doing as believers, okay, is growing into that image once again until we see him. We're trying to restore that image. Sanctification is the process by which you're restoring that image. And so that's what I'm going to call, be talking about today, about the warnings that we have there. Because of our inherent total depravity, we are saturated with sin, We're saturated in sin. When we are saved, and thank you, uh, Rich, for being here today. This reminds me. I can even remember the verses that I used when I gave my testimony. I loved that day. It's something that I hold on to. It's something that I treasure. That didn't save me, but that was an indication that I was saved. And so if you haven't been baptized, make sure you think about that. Sanctification is the process of restoring the believer. We are inherently depraved. When we are saved, we are carrying about the marks of the world. And I had many of those marks, believe me. You didn't have to look even that very deeply. They were there. They're in our thinking. They're in our behavior. But as we grow as Christians, those things should be put off and put away. Through the sanctification process of hearing and responding to the Word of God, we should be more like Christ. Being an unsaved, unregenerate person is like being directly under, listen to this illustration, Niagara Falls. There is absolutely no way you can remove yourself from the tons and tons of water heaping on you second by second. You're buried there, drowning in your trespasses and sins. However, God comes along, and in His mercy, He places you not out of completely the Niagara Falls, but he puts you in the cave of mist. 
the cave of mist. And I got to tell you folks, being there and having been there, and this is where I got the illustration, is an actual cave under the overhang of the falls, right near where the water is pounding down. You can see it is pounding and pounding and pounding. Countless souls are being uh, slaughtered or drowned and all of those kinds of things by the judgment of God. But you're in a new position as a saved person. You're still getting wet. You're still getting wet from your sin. Judgment has been taken away from you because of Jesus Christ, but you're still in the mist. You're safe, but you're wet. As a matter of fact, they actually give you a raincoat to wear down there. That's how wet you're going to be. In some cases, you're really wet. The world within reaches, and its effects is still touching each and every one of us. It's never taken away from us. The sanctifying process is the idea of moving up the side of the falls and continuing to climb up there. There's a little step staircase where you can go up, and as you're going up, there's less and less of that mist. That's exactly what happens here. Folks, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, you are part of that process. For it is God who is in you to work and to will his good pleasure. As you hear the word of God, as it's taught to you, explained to you, applied to you, you begin to understand God. Not the opinion of man, because the opinion of man doesn't mean anything. Admonish one another, though, is, is a great subject for a healthy, Christ-centered body of believers. But no one here, I notice, doesn't wear a sign, come admonish me. We, we don't do that. You know, come tell me. What do we normally do? Oh, I didn't really do that. I, that somebody else made me do that. And we got all kinds of excuses for it. That's what we normally do. The word for admonish is found in both the noun and the verb forms. It is used eight times in the New Testament. Seven of those times it's used by Paul. One time, only one time, it's used by Luke. And Luke is explaining Paul's preaching. So it's really Paul who brings that about. About the confrontation of yourself, the confrontation of maybe by some, someone else, about your behavior. So let's look at the various usages of uh, this particular word. It's called netheto or nuthetic counseling. Um, my wife and I, I have a joke with my wife. I hope you don't mind. Actually, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I'm a nuthetic counselor. She's a nowthetic counselor. Do it now. That's a, I've, I've heard that for 47 years. Do it now. <laughs> but I love her for it. That word, that Greek word admonish, Sometimes can be translated, listen to this, can be translated instruction, teaching. That means before the sin, there's instruction there going on. Sometimes it can be translated as warning. There's a potential wrong here. You better watch it. This is not a a good place to go or a good person to be with. I mean, I would say that to my children sometimes. That's not a child that I want you to be playing with because they are a bad influence on you. Those kinds of warnings. And then the last one is admonishment. That comes after the dirty deed. It's done. It's basically the Lord spanking you, Hebrews chapter 12. You've done it. But why don't we turn to some of those passages? And we're going to do some Bible um, hunting, if you don't mind. I, I hope you enjoy this today. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I love this passage because it's speaking to me, but if you want to know the reality of it, it doesn't mean just fathers, it can mean parents. But it says fathers there. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Folks, when I got saved, I didn't have a clue. How am I supposed to teach my children? How am I supposed to love my wife? I had a man get involved in my life, and for two years, he poured into me of how I'm supposed to do these things. Folks, if you don't have someone in your life like that, find them. Find a Bible study. we got Bible studies all over the Southern California here. We don't have any in Arizona, I'm sorry. But we got them all over Southern California. Find one. Get somebody there that can even speak into you. They, they don't have to be older than you. They can even be younger than you if they know the Bible better than you. That's what's important. And it says there, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the idea of, of instruction, of giving them, of putting into their mind, this is how you behave. And, and you know, when I think of that, I think of especially of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 is, is an incredible book on what a parent is to do for a child. This is the admonition that you give to your child before they mess up. You know, after they mess up, there's something else you do. We can talk about that later. But Proverbs of Solomon, this is verse 1, the, king, uh, uh, the, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. We want them to understand instruction. Why are we teaching them this? When I would correct my children, I would want to teach them why I'm correcting them, but I must have before, previously, told them this is a wrong thing to do. If I didn't tell them it was the wrong thing to do, then why am I correcting them? So, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of, uh, of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, because they're naive. You've got to instruct them to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That's what we want to do. I want them to acquire this. My kids became turned about, I don't know, first grade, second grade. We would bring them in to listen to Pastor John MacArthur. And people would say, are you serious? They can't understand that. I didn't want them to understand it. At least not yet. I want them to get used to it. And one day, I said to my daughter, Pastor John is speaking on discernment today. Notice I said it the way John says it. (laughs) Discernment today. I want you to mark off how many times Pastor John says that word. Okay? After the message is over, I'm, I'm getting pulled like this. Dad, 125 times. Now, did she learn the message that day? Probably not. But you know what she did? She learned how to listen. Discernment became part of her. Is, is knowing what's good, what's bad, all of that kind of stuff. That's what we're trying to teach. That's the instruction we give from the pulpit. Carl, myself, or whoever else you're sitting under the preaching of, that's what happens. That's why we do it, because we care. Another verse to look at is Titus chapter 3, verse 10. 
Titus chapter 3, verse 10. And this gets a little bit more factual, a little bit more um, important here in the sense that uh, uh, you're going to be confronting someone. But Titus 3.10, and it says there, reject a factious man after first and second warning. You, you, a man who's causing trouble in the body of Christ. Or may I say this, a woman who is causing trouble in the body of Christ. Do you know women can cause trouble? I'm shocked, but they can. I mean, that's why I have two daughters and five granddaughters. I just, you know. But that's what you're supposed to do. Reject a factious man after first and second warning. This is the admonition before the deed. You're telling them what you're doing is wrong and you need to stop. We've had that when we're in faith There's a woman in our, one of our Bible studies and she, was, she had a, an incorrect doctrine. I actually had her, I, the, the Bible study leader, confront her. She wound up leaving that Bible study and she went to another one, which is also in Faith Builders, and tried to do the same thing there. And I said to that Bible study leader, send her to my office. Tell her to come see me. And I told her, that's wrong doctrine. It's going to only get you into trouble. You need to stop thinking about that. And if you can't, you can leave Grace Church. We don't need to do church discipline on you. First of all, she wasn't a member. But you can't stay here. I don't want other people hearing this incorrect doctrine. You see, nuthetic counseling is the training by the Word of God. It's the training by the Word of God. Whether of encouragement, and we do that in nuthetic counseling, or it could be reproof, or it could be rebuke. But there's encouragement, rebuke, a reproof going on all the time. There should be that going on in the body of Christ. That's a healthy church. First church I ever candidated at back in 1992, 1991, I'm sorry. Back in New York, I wanted to go back to my home area. And uh, it was a beautiful church. It was out in the woods, and I had deer in the front lawn and all of this kind of stuff. They had 150, 200 people there, and they didn't do church discipline. They said, we thought about it once. And I asked them about it, and I said, well, you don't love people if you don't do that. You don't love them. You don't care about them because their souls could be going to hell. You need to rebuke them. You need to call them, warn them. The verb usage is most prevalent, and, and this is the idea that's put into the mind to admonish, to warn, to advise, to exhort, to confront. That's what you're trying to do. You see children, your children, other children, your wife, your husband, and yes, a wife can tell her husband, honey, what you're doing, I understand, but it's wrong according to what the scriptures say. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. Do you know some men actually ignore their wives? Yeah. Some men actually ignore their wives. That, again, is a violation. Hopefully, if any of you are here, I don't think there is because you're all great guys, would understand what I'm trying to say here. Listen. Listen. This concept means to exert influence upon them, exert influence upon the will and the decisions of another with the object of guiding him generally to accepted behavior. That's what you're trying to do. 
whatever it was that was going wrong. You're trying to get them to accept the behavior. Accept the behavior by who? God. It's not your what you think is best. It's not about uh, eating bread or not eating bread. I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you eat bread or not eat bread. It, it's about good behavior. Sin, talking about sin, accepted behavior. This exhortation presupposes a previous knowledge of the wrong. It consists of reminding a person of this with the intention that he should carry it out. Do this. The word nuthetic carries the idea uh, that there is an exertion of influence being subjected to the mind in order to see a specific action taken. In other words, you are speaking into the heart and the mind of a person. That's what you're trying to do. It's, it's not void of that. There, it, it takes work sometimes to, to try to explain it to them. All of that should be going on so that they see it. Here's another passage that I'd like you to turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 tells us that Scripture was written to warn or instruct us. It says this, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. These things happened. What are those things? Well, let's look at it. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What, what Paul is doing here is giving them an example from their past that all of the Jews that were there would understand, that they all didn't need to have a Bible. They all had it up here because they were taught from young children. Okay, Deuteronomy 6. That's what they were taught all from young children. They would understand that. They would have understood it through the, the synagogue or whatever, the temple. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Why were they laid low in that desert wilderness? Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Children do what their parents do. They don't necessarily listen to what their parents have to say. They watch their parents. And that's what's happening here. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. I mean, actually dead. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. I mean, look at these are examples, clear examples that you don't do these things. Paul is trying to warn them in Corinth. Don't go there. Don't go there. So that's another instruction. Acts 20.31. 
I find this one extremely, this is the one that Paul didn't write, or the Holy Spirit didn't write through Paul, however you want to put that. But Acts 20.31, this here usage of Nutheto is uh, used by um, Luke, but he's talking about what Paul had to say in his preaching to the elders of Ephesus. And Paul is giving a warning there, a, a very clear warning, a very important warning. And, and I've said this here before, I believe. And in Acts 20.31, it says this, Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Could you imagine being in a ministry where I came over your home and began to admonish you by the way you behave? Could you imagine? And I once heard that in Russia they used to do that. When a husband and wife couldn't get together, the pastor would move in. Folks, watch out. Watch out. Now, what would happen is that I'd have a problem there, you know, with my wife. But, you know, that, that, that could be that the pastor would move in. But Paul is talking here about a small gathering, beginning of the church. He's not talking about thousands of people or hundreds of people. He's talking about a small gathering where he loved them so much that he would spend time in their home, care for them, and cry with them. He would understand their pain. And he would be able to cry with them. I love that. I love that, that he had that closeness with them. Matter of fact, I wish that we had that kind of closeness. Yes, we open up our home. You come over and those kinds of things. You have trouble. You can come over. We want to, want to get together with you. All of those things are to happen. But here's Paul doing that. But what is he warning them? Look at verse 28. Be on the alert for yourselves and all the flock. He's talking to the elders. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So he's getting very serious now because he's, he's putting the onus on the shepherds that you're supposed to watch over the flock. It was purchased by God. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That is a warning every church should take very, very seriously. There are savage wolves out there. They're just looking for that opportunity, and I mean they're already present, folks. They want to take people with them. They want to convince people there's something wrong or whatever. That is happening. That is happening. For from among you, this is verse 30, your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, people, and I want to put this the right way, get off, get excited about having people following them. You know, I have, a, I have something to say. Come follow me. Let me get you away from Grace Church. Well, let me get you here. Let me do this. Yeah, it's a warning that's here. It's an admonishment from Luke but the words that Paul had said. Paul took his calling seriously. He loved these people. He wanted them to understand gospel truth. I'm looking at my time because I don't want it to run out before I have everything to say 
I did that conference this week and I ran out of time because it just they, sometimes you have so much there that you want to get it out. Proverbs 27, you don't need to turn there. With Proverbs 27, thought of this when I was doing this message in Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. See, if I really love you, I should be able to come alongside you and say, what you're doing is wrong. We had a lovely time at the premarital class yesterday. Q&A at the end. Man asked a question, and, and I, hopefully I did that in love. I, I rebuked him in his question of what he was doing and said, this is not what the church of Jesus Christ would be behind. And, and we talked about it, and, and he didn't, didn't get miffed by it or anything. But you see, that's what you have to do sometimes. You know, sometimes people don't like when I do that. They don't. And, and, they, and they get angry at me. But I have to do it because that's what God has called me to do. So verse 20, uh, 20, uh, Proverbs 27, 5, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, the person who overdoes, uh, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're so lovely, and uh, I, you know, please don't do that to me. I'm not lovely, first of all. <laughs> don't, don't, don't start to smell me. I'm from New York. You can't do that. <laughs> so, so think about it. You, you want to be faithful. Be able to say the right thing at the right time in love, uh, uh, definitely in love. You're not there to rebuke them and, and cut them down. You want to do it in love because you do love them. You care about them. Turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's a, another place where Paul uses that word in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. It's putting into your mind. Again, these are the people that are instructing you. Down to verse 14 now. And it says there, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. I, I love the way Paul puts this. Admonish the unruly. These people who are out of step, completely out of step, and then he says, um, encourage the faint-hearted. There are people that are faint-hearted that, that they want to do it, but they just can't do it. It's just difficult for them. They, they have so many things going on in their life. They, they're faint-hearted. I, I don't want to put that person down. I, I want to help to pick that person up. And it says there, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Do you know the person that you can't be patient with is yourself. That's the person to not be patient with. I should be better. I should be doing better. I, I thank the Lord for what he's given you. So here in this passage, the admonishment means to confront. It means to take care of the disorderly. So you have one there that's instruction, putting into the mind, and the other one is to confront. Using the same word. 
unruly has the idea of people who are out of step and other nuance. It could also be a meddler. It could be a fanatic. It could be a loafer. Somebody who's damaging the body of Christ. You know, you have loafers. They come and, and they want to get from people. Years ago, we had a lady who, who went to every fellowship group she possibly could, and pleaded her case of needing, 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 needing. Okay? And Bill Schneider and I, and Bill's not around anymore. He's in heaven. Bill, I'll be there soon. Um, and, and he and I sat down Bible studies all over the place. Oh, I need help. I need, I need, I need. We counted up. This is going back to the 1980s, maybe 90s, where she had gotten over $30,000 from people in Bible studies. You guys are really nice. You really are. You see a need, you want to take care of it. That's why the Deacons Fund is there, please. That's why we want to make sure it goes through that one filter. But nevertheless, you have those kinds of folks at Grace Community Church. You have fanatics at Grace. No. Yes, we do. Come to my office tomorrow. No. (laughs) But you see, once we discover those kinds of folks, we deal with them. I got to tell you, Bill and I talked with her. And we, we talked with her in gentleness, and we talked with her, and, and of course there were needs, but we pointed out some places where she could get some help. Matter of fact, I was willing to get her somebody who I knew owned apartments so that she'd become the apartment manager. She didn't have rent anymore. Come on. We're, we know some people we can help that way. These people are to be confronted, but confronted with patience. But when they respond... And they don't respond. I should say when they respond in erratically or they respond in, in, in distrust or whatever it is, they need to be removed quickly. It inter- interrupts everything. Here are some other passages. Second Thessalonians. Paul must have liked uh, Thessaloniki. That's what it's called today, Thessaloniki. In Second uh, Thessalonians 3.15 Paul said this, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You see, if it's a believer, a Christian, a true Christian, one who has a testimony, you are to admonish him. That's what you're supposed to do. But let's look at some other stuff right here in this passage, starting in verse 11. For we hear that uh, some among you are leading a an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. We don't have anybody like that here at Grace Church, but if we did, we would want to confront them. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. I got to tell you, I've, I've heard of men at Grace Church being able to get jobs for people at Grace Church just because they had a need and they had a they had a, a, a a willingness to go to work. Verse 13, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, that's Nutheno, take special heed of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. You see, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you need to act like a Christian. And if you're not acting like a Christian, how can we have fellowship? 
How can we have fellowship? There's no fellowship there. You don't have the same spirit. So they need to be confronted. They need to be talked to. 1 Corinthians 4.14. And I'm looking at this. And the first 14, it says this. Do not write these things to shame you, but admonish you as my beloved children. That, that's why it's there. I admonish you as my beloved children. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You know, you, you come to the end of your life. You may not have a burial site. You may not have a coffin. But if you have Christ, you should be complete. You should be wanting that more than anything else in your life. That's what we're trying to do, is have you prepared for that? You may not have that burial site. Who cares? I always tell my wife, there's a green barrel. Just toss me in there. She doesn't like it. Here, the idea of admonishment and teaching are wedded together. There's teaching is the guidance and the intellect are to uh, to understand the elementary principles as a foundation. These elementary principles must be implanted in the mind and the heart. That's what has to happen. We need to teach for understanding. And and frankly, if you have children or you're even here, what did you get out of that message? What do you understand? We used to go home on Sunday afternoon and we used to talk about what did Pastor John say that day and do we understand it and how do we apply that to our life? Because we need it. I don't care who you are. I once told John that, and he says, oh, so you roast me on Sunday afternoon, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. It's about for me. It's for me. But you see, as you grow in understanding of the Word of God, the hope is that you're growing in the Word. You're growing in your relationship with Him. You're growing in your response to Him. Folks, that was the introduction. Told you. I want to give you three elements to understand. Three things that you need to understand. Three elements. Here's the first one. There there is a problem. When admonishment is needed, there is a problem. Number two, there is a solution. And then number three, there is a benefit. There is a benefit to that admonition. Admonition indicates that something must be overcome. Something's wrong. There's some kind of a problem. There's some kind of a sin. You know, you're supposed to be walking in harmony, and you're not walking in harmony. You're out of step. It could be pride. Don't know. It could be a misperception. I don't know. It could be a misunderstanding. Simple as that. Herman Kremer said this, quote, some degrees of opposition has been encountered, and one wishes to subdue or remove it. Not by punishment, but by influencing the mind. When I confront somebody in my office, I'm not doing it to put them down. I'm wanting them to see. I want to influence their mind to them understand. Maybe more information is needed. Could be. Maybe a better understanding of Scripture. Then I want to make sure they understand Scripture. Maybe it's a realization of a sin, that that's really a sin, and they didn't even know it was a sin. There are some people that are ignorant to those things. 
Maybe it's just plain old confession of sin and repentance that's necessary. The first element indicates that there is a problem. There is an obstacle of some kind. It needs to be overcome. Something is wrong, and one needs to be confronted. I must give a warning here that you sometimes confront a person, but because of a lack of your information, you are admonishing them for the wrong issue. You, you may be confronting them for the wrong thing. Not going to happen. You don't have all the facts. And that can become then contentious, of course, understood. So I like to give some ways of you can say this to people, like what I do in the counseling room. I say to them, it appears to me that this, to this, to this is going on. They can say, no, it's not what it is. Or I, I am believing that it could be this. And I give them the out to say, Pastor, you're from planet Pluto. Oh, it's not a planet anymore. Um, <clears throat> they could say that. I don't care. I've been called a lot worse. I, I mean, believe me, I, I have no... You can say you're off the wall, you know. Please, you know what off the wall is, don't you? Okay, good. Don't need to explain it. We must be diligent. We must be diligent to know all the facts possible. Proverbs 18, 17 gives us a warning, but in, in Hebrew, it says the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. I may not have all the facts. It just has an appearance. And that appearance is telling me one thing, but I, I don't quite know all that's going on. So I have to ask questions. Um, what are we to admonish for, specifically? Sin. Sin. Obstruction to relationship. When brothers cannot get along, I have a trouble with that. If you're in the same body, it, it, it bothers me that brother, brothers can't get along. Now, you may not be the best of buddies and go out for, you know, um, in and out on Mondays. That's not, that's not what it's about. But there should be a relationship of being able to say, hello, how are you? You know what? You're going to spend eternity together. You better learn how to say hello now. <clears throat> it could be there's areas of a lack of spiritual growth and you want to help them along. It could be an ignorance of biblical relationships. And what I mean by that, they could be single and they could be crossing some lines there and that bothers me. You, you should know your place in crossing those, those relationship things that go on between singles. And so that's number one element. Second element is admonition or admonishment is that there is a solution. There is. There, there is. We, we have the word of God. We've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Have we or have we not? If it's been given to us, and it says that in Second uh, Peter 1, 3, then we need to understand that. that we have a solution. There is a solution. Robert Trench said this, It is training by the word, by the word of encouragement, by the word of reproof, and by the word of blame where required. I thought that was good. All of this happens in the context of the body of Christ. A vibrant body of Christ should be loving one another, caring for one another, stimulating one another to love and good deeds, encouraging one another. That's what we're here for. You don't come here just to be entertained on Sunday. 
That, that's, that's not what it is. Then go to a football game. Confronting, admonishing aims to straighten out the individual by changing his patterns of behavior. Making sure that those patterns of behavior are now with biblical standards. Rich, you may not remember this, but one of the fellows I got baptized with, I became very good friends with immediately. His name was Eric. We used to go up to uh, Northridge and go door to door, giving the gospel. And then, of course, you know, that wears out after a while, and so we, we stopped doing that. And, and I get a call from his wife and says, Eric is back in the bar. He's back in the drinking establishment. And she tells me which drinking establishment it is. And I drive to the drinking establishment, but I don't go in. See, folks, I, I don't need to have the influence of that drinking establishment on me. But I sat out there for hours waiting for Eric to come out. Oh, maybe he went out another door. I have no idea. I never got to confront him, but I did see him later on. He was gone. He, he did not want anything to do with Christianity. That happens. But the confrontation is necessary. He needs to know. I, I've got a, an example of that here in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Turn there. 2 Samuel 12. We're going to try to go through this quickly so that I have enough time to give you the third point. Otherwise, I can't go to Italy on Thursday. I have to stay here. Come back. 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord, said, uh, Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and he grew up together with him and his children, and uh, it would eat his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. In other words, this is a family pet. This is a family's pet. This is what happened. Now the traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. That angered David. You know the story, and I maybe not need to read through all of this. That angered David. How dare he do that, steal that from the poor man? And I love the way Nathan ends it, and I'm not going to go through all of it. And he's confronting him. He's admonishing him, and David doesn't have a clue. David doesn't have a clue in the beginning. I wished I could put this kind of formula together for every kind of admonishment that I do, but I don't have the brain, don't have the time, don't know all of the ins and outs. But David was confronted by Nathan the prophet and said, you are the one who has stolen the ewe lamb. And he gave him, you killed Uriah, you took his wife, you did this, you did this, you did this. And David was stunned. Now remember, this is at the end of the time of David's being in depression. People call that depression. I just call it he is in the throes of the guilt of sin. And he's getting confronted by Nathan. And when he's told, you are the man, David was able at that point to repent, truly, 
and turn to God. Folks, that's what this is about. We're trying to win the person, not cast them away. We're not trying to point out all of their bad things that they do. Hopefully you don't keep an accounting sheet with you and, you know, put out all the things that they've done wrong. Now, an, another one. A New Testament solution can be found in 2 Thessalonians 3.15. You do, yeah, do not regard him as an enemy. Admonish him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. That's what I said before. Admonish him as a brother because that's what he is. You want to take him back. Now, the third element of admonishment is that it is a benefit. It is a benefit. Confirmation or admonishment, I am sorry, confrontation or admonishment is not to make a person feel bad about themselves. I, I, please, if you're there to making the person feel bad about themselves, you're handling it the wrong way. You want them to be using their brain because you see when they feel bad about themselves, they're not thinking. They're selfish. And so they think, poor me, how can they do this to me? That kind of thing. You want to return that person to usefulness in the body of Christ. These sin issues are brought to a person because there is tender concern for them, genuine care for them. Galatians 6.1, you are spiritual, restore such a one. In, in a spirit of gentleness, that's what you should be doing. Some of you may have had this experience. From what I hear from people, it doesn't often happen that way. It, maybe it comes as gentle, but the person takes it as harsh. And you can't make anything up. I once had a man in my counseling go to the chairman of the board of Grace Church and say that I was screaming at him when I was counseling him. And, and the chairman of the board said to me, I know you didn't, but I just wanted you to be aware of it. I came in the next time and I said, you know, the chairman of the board told me what you had to say about my screaming at you. And, and I profoundly want to know when it was and how I did it, because I could. I mean, I'm not perfect. And he said, well, you were talking to me like this, and then your voice ro rose like this, and so I thought you were yelling at me. I said, you've not heard me yell. <laughs> the pastor in the next room was making a little bit of noise. I want to make sure he could hear what I was saying. Uh, you know, wait, wait. I can be admonished. I can be confronted. I can be talked to. But talk to me. Say something to me. That's what needs to happen. The whole idea is to change that which is hurting and Bring that person back to life in the body of Christ. The thought of punishment or disciplinary activity is never contemplated. The motivation is love that sends you there. That's why church discipline is done. It's done out of love. I preached that from the Grace Church pulpit once. It's done out of love. It's done out of deep concern. The ultimate goal is how I started the message, the glory of God. That's the ultimate that's where we're headed. 1 Timothy 1.5 is my ministry verse. I keep that to, close to my heart. 1 Timothy 1.5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I, I don't do it to manipulate people. I do, and if I admonish somebody, I'm doing it because 
I love them. I'm not trying to make them feel bad. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it just because I'm a pastor and I need to do it. No, I'm doing it because I love that brother, that sister. That's why. You see, folks, if admonishment is handled that way, guess what? People begin to love one another. People begin to love one another. They begin to care for one another. And I mean deep Christian love for one another. The fellowship becomes richer. The the understanding of who God is and what God is doing, he's changing you. A man who met me out in the parking lot, a friend, used to be here. He's now on security duty. And he said, why would God save us? Why would God save us? That's what he said this morning. And I, I said, David, I ask myself that question every single day. He saves us, not because we're good, not because we're good looking for sure, but he saves us because he wants us to become his people that represent him. What better way than being able to talk to somebody about what you see in their life and say, you know, maybe we can work on this together. Maybe we can do a Bible study about this. But today, there are three elements that are here. Three elements. There's a problem. I need to go to the person. There is a solution. I need to go to the Word. There is a benefit. I need to rejoice in Jesus Christ. And so we have that for us. It's amazing. Even that, why would God do that? Folks, I'm going to pray here in a minute, but I would like you to pray for me as I go to to Italy. I've got to teach. When I land, I start teaching. That's basically the way I like to do it because it keeps me awake in the whole uh, and gets me on their time zone. And I'll be teaching Thursday night, Friday all day, and Saturday all day, and then I fly to Berlin. And then I'm, I just found out today, I'm not teaching on Monday. I thought I was teaching Monday through um, Friday. No, they got me Tuesday through Saturday. <laughs> so at least I get to go to the Pergamum Museum. Um, I'm looking forward to that, to see the largest altar ever built. I, I, I can't wait to see that. I, I want to see, oh, I'm going to take lots of pictures. I can't wait to see that. And Because we have Pergamum. We already did the city of Pergamum. And, and we uh, worked through that. And when I read that, that they had this altar there in Berlin, I was um, astonished. So pray for me as we do that. Pray for the students. In Berlin, the crowd is getting bigger. For whatever reason, um, it was 30 students. Now it's up to 60. Um, uh, I think it's on marriage and family. I know it's on marriage and family. It's on marriage and family. And so I, I think that there are a lot of people that want to hear about marriage and family. And they've invited even some folks from the church now to start coming. So let's pray. Father, you are good. You're always good. Lord, I thank you for this message. Thank you for something that can speak to my own heart. Lord, because it reminds me of how I am to love my flock, of how I am to love my friends, of how I am to receive admonition. 
All of that is built into this passage, into this, these, what we have to say today. Lord, let us learn to be able to hear others when they confront us and to love them even more. We pray this in your name. Amen.